open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. He took my sins and my sorrows in order to make me like him. He wanted to take my sins and sorrows so that I could receive his righteousness and his glory and live a very different kind of life in this life and in the life to come. So obviously uh, what he did on the cross is the beginning of a lifelong process of of bringing me into his family and making me into, into the man he wants me to be. And that's what I want us to talk about today. First Samuel ch- chapter 17, a little bitty part in the story of David right before he faces the battle with Goliath. This sermon's entitled, Doing the Homework. We've been in school now for what, kids? Like 10 days, 11 days, uh, 12 days, 50 years. I mean, it just seems like forever already. I mean, you know, fall break can't come soon enough. Uh, I, I actually always really liked school, the school part. I, I didn't mind going to school, being in school. That all was fine. I, I, I was a redneck kid in Matlock, you know, which is a suburb of Woodburn, if that tells you the excitement of my life. You know, going, getting, on, getting in any moving vehicle and going anywhere was a good, I mean, kidnap me. I don't care. Just get me out of here and, and let me experience something. So school was okay. But, but what I really, really didn't like was homework. That, that seemed like such a dirty trick. Like, I go to school all day long and then go home and have to do schoolwork at home. H- homework. And some teachers would just pile it on. It seemed like some grades, it just piles on. It seems like, you know, like third grade, fourth grade, right in there, the homework just piles, piles on. High school, gosh, geometry, algebra, in, any math class, it just seems like they pile it on. You spend a whole day at school, then you go home after school, and there at the kitchen table or at your desk or on your bed or wherever you go, all by yourself, you, you solve for X, you know, five trillion times until bedtime. And solving for X. Oh, I, I, I just really struggled with that. Didn't always understand the, the point of that, but I was a person who always tried to do my homework. I'm a rule follower and also always a little bit scared of my teachers. I don't know why they were all old ladies, but they had me. Miss Honeycutt, Warren Central. I, mean, I, I would not want to meet that woman, you know, in a dark alley anywhere. And she's a beautiful, kind lady, but I was horrified of Miss Honeycutt, y'all. I mean, you just don't want to show up in her class without having all the problems, you know, done. I'm a 53-year-old man. I still have that nightmare. Like, it's like one of those recurring dreams where I, I walk into a class that I've apparently supposed to have been going to, but I've never been. And like, that's the day when the teacher comes out and he's taking up homework. I'm like, I don't have the homework. I don't. Or like, even worse, there's a test. Like, this is worse than that dream where you wake up naked. This is like that horrible dream where you haven't done the homework or you haven't even been to the class. And all of a sudden, you know, you know boom, it's test day. Uh, they're taking up the homework day. Man, that's like a recurring nightmare. I've been out of school for a thousand years. I always like to do my homework. I went to school with a lot of kids who never did homework. My, my, my hunch is all the kids back in school who never did their homework are out there in life now as adults still not doing their homework. And, and this is part of what we have to understand today. Homework, doing the homework is not just a part of your life when you are in Miss Honeycutt's geometry class. You understand? Doing the homework is not just a part of your life when you're in school. Doing the homework is a part of your life for as long as you live life. If you don't believe me, just ask David on his way to fight Goliath. And that's where we pick up right now. 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 32. 
1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 32. Let me see if I can get my iPad in operation. Maybe. Okay. Verse 32. David is in conversation with King Saul. King Saul just happens to be the tallest man in Israel. We know this. So David, who is a shepherd boy, approximately this tall, okay, something like that, is, is in a conversation with the tallest man in Israel who also happens to be the king. His name is Saul. But there is a giant who is threatening God's people out there, and nobody will fight him, including the world's tallest man, Saul, who's just simply not interested in doing what kings should do, and that would be defend and lead his people. So little David's having a conversation with King Saul on the way to fight Goliath. Here we go. Verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Don't you love that? How do you not love David? I killed stuff before. I've been killing stuff. I'm a farm. I'm from a farm. Why? I live on a farm. Taking care of my daddy's sheep. I kill stuff. Yeah, I'll kill this giant too. Man, where does that come from, you all? Where does that come from? This is a boy, shepherd boy, who just happens to walk up on the battle. Remember the story? He was bringing lunch to his brothers who were in the military. David's not a fighting man. He is the kid left back home to take care of the sheep. But when he gets here, he can't believe that of all the men in Israel, nobody will go fight the giant. David says, let me have him. I'll go fight him. That's a miracle right there. But what is the miracle? Where does the miracle begin? Judy Chaffin tells the story of being uh, at, the, at the optometrist. Is that the word? The, the eyeglass store? You know, looking for glasses. Y'all ever done that? It's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's the hardest job you'll ever do. Pick out glasses is hard. But Judy was there, and being Judy, this lady comes up to her and says, excuse me, can you help me? And y'all know Judy, she'll help anybody. She'll give you a kidney out of her body at the eye store, you know? Judy said, well, if I can, I'll help you. What do you need? The lady said, I need you to help me find my glasses. Judy said, well, where did you lay them down? And the lady just looks back at that big wall. You know how you do when you're trying on glasses, like you take a pair off and put them on, and you swap them out, you know, you, you, like you take a pair off and put back on, and so that lady had somewhere along the way, like taken her glasses off and put them on the wall with five trillion pairs of glasses. Yeah, but y'all know Judy Chaffin found her glasses? She sure did. She's still there looking, but, but she, 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 she found them. No, can, can you imagine? I mean... Finding one pair of glasses out of an ocean of, of glasses, that, that was the point. And, and you know how hard that would be? But in your life, do you ever feel like that? You ever just feel like, you know, nobody's special, one among a million? 
you know, people out there, uh, just kids out there, adults out there. You know, we, we live in Woodburn. This is a nowhere place. Let's just be honest. It, it, this is just nowhere. It used to be somewhere. When our church was established 150 years ago, Woodburn had three saloons. Now, now we got a dollar store, but that's new. Like it, it's, it's, it's coming back, y'all. It's coming back. But yeah, it's just Woodburn, Kentucky, y'all, and we ain't nobody. I mean, our church is on Facebook Live, and we're like, woo! But y'all know anybody can put their church on Facebook Live. You could go home and get in your doghouse and go on Facebook Live. I mean, we ain't nobody. I'm not doing anything. We're just us, you know. And you ever just feel that way? That there's not, nothing special about me or you. We're nobody special and, and, and one among the million. And, and if, sometimes it, it's comforting to know that we can blend in. And then sometimes it's just sort of sad to think that we only blend in. But, but this is sort of the point, and, and, and it's the miracle of where this story begins. Because David, when he steps out into this story, when he shows up here on this day to fight this battle, yeah, he, he's nobody. He is the eighth son in a family of boys, and, and, and he's the one that they left at home. I mean, he is the least likely for anything. Red-headed, they, they say, I mean, you know, just th- that kid. It wasn't, I mean, he's Opie. There's just nothing a- about him that would make you think he was about to do something amazing. Now, you've read this story a thousand times, but David's never read 1 Samuel 17 in his life. He doesn't know how this goes. And at this point, nobody's telling stories about David. And, and David hasn't done anything. His life has been an incredibly mundane life. He's the one that stays home every day and watches sheep on the backside of his daddy's pasture. I mean, his life is nothing special. There's nothing about this. This whole time, nothing about David. Special to nobody, but this is where the miracle begins. He's always been special to God. Now, I'm not saying special to God in a way that like David is like God's favorite and there's always been a spotlight shining on David. No, I'm saying he's special to God in the same way that you're special to God. In the same way that God always is able somehow to spot you among the millions. God, who is the king of the universe, the multiverse. God, who is at this very moment, you know, shepherding the rivers on the planet Mars and and commanding the storms of lightning on the planet Jupiter. At the very same time, he is looking down right now and he focuses on you, your thoughts, your heart. He knows you. You have to understand this. God sees you. He knows you and is lovingly involved with the details of your life. I'm talking about you. You personally. You haven't disappeared into the crowd with God. You never have. It's not that God is primarily focused on, you know, preachers and and, and missionaries and Catholic nuns and people like that. No, no, no. God is especially focused on you. He sees you. He knows you. He made you. I mean, he's the one who dreamed the dream of your life, and he knits you together in your mother's belly, and he put things in you that you don't even know about yet. God knows you, loves you, and he is lovingly involved in all of the details of your life. Lovingly involved with all of the details of your life. You don't always understand that. Because your life seems so mundane, you're just there at the job day after day doing the very same thing. You go to school, the very same thing day after day after day. You come home, you do the homework, you go back tomorrow, you start all over. It seems like a nothing special life. It seems like there's no, no, no hand of favor reached out toward you. 
But this is what I'm telling you. This is what you don't understand yet. God sees you. He knows you. And he's lovingly involved with the details of your life. Your life is following a pattern. You may not see it yet. Your life is following a path. You may not understand that yet. But it leads somewhere. It leads somewhere. And God and God alone, the God who himself wrote all the days of your life in his book before even a single one of those days had had taken pass. You understand, that God, he knows where it leads. He knows why you were made. He knows what's in you. He knows what makes you come alive. And he longs to see you come alive. He knows you. He loves you. Can I say this in a way to make you understand it? You're still looking at me like you're mad. Don't you understand this? We're talking about your life, your entire life. It follows a path. It it follows a plan. This isn't random. You haven't disappeared into into the dirt of the earth. You understand God still has his eyes on you, his hand on you. All of this, all of this is leading somewhere. Where does it go? Where does it lead? Well, for David... Led straight to fighting Goliath. What? I mean, fighting Goliath. Remember, Saul is the tallest man in Israel. Goliath is a giant, but but Saul would be like second tallest. So, you know, if I'm nominating somebody to go take on the giant, I would choose the the, the next tallest guy. It would be Saul. But it hasn't even crossed Saul's mind. Saul is standing here having this conversation in his bathrobe. In his bathrobe. There is an army out there fighting, although nobody's actually fighting. And Saul, meanwhile, is in his palace, and and his armor is in the closet. He's not suiting up. It hasn't even crossed his mind that there's a battle for him. This is how you know Saul's about done. He's about done, not because God has given up on Saul, but because Saul has given up on Saul. It's not that God is no longer interested in living Saul's life. It's that Saul is no longer interested in living Saul's life. You understand this? But David is living his life. And David walks in and David sees and understands the moment and he steps right into it. It's like his whole life has been leading to this. And David tells a story. Now, he didn't know it till now. But he says, I I can do this. I know I can do this. I never have done this. But I've done other things and I feel like all those other things I've done have just led me to this moment. I will take on the giant. Isn't that amazing? The point is, God's going to wait until he knows you're ready to be used. Now, David's been out there a long, long time, but now is the moment, and suddenly the spotlight is on him. Suddenly, David's ready to be used. Now, I I don't know at what point he got ready. I would say this is the moment when he's ready, because now he's in the situation. God's going to wait. Now, this is hard, because you and I don't wait. When we are asked to wait, probably one of two things happen, or mostly just one thing's happen. When we're asked to wait, we wait a while, then we give up. We quit waiting. We'd rather make something happen than wait for something to happen, or we give up that anything's ever going to happen. So one way or the other, waiting is the hardest thing for us. But in this life that God has called you into, understand, there may be seasons, whole seasons of your life where it doesn't seem like much is happening. It's mundane. But I'm telling you, God will wait. God waits until he knows you're ready. Now, you're not ready just because you think you're ready. And sometimes you think you're ready. 
And God knows you're not ready. And God's just not dumb enough to let you call the shots. We're going to wait till he knows you're ready, but God knows. Trust him and wait. When you're ready to be used, he will put you in the moment. I'm not even actually preaching yet, y'all. This is just preliminary. Preliminary. Y'all heard me say this before, but this is so critical. God always prepares you where you are for what comes next. God prepares you where you are for what comes next. See, this is where, you know, it it like dawns on David. Oh, I've been preparing for this. He didn't know that. He said, I'm going to go out and kill a lion today because I'm going to get ready to face the giant. No. He killed the lion and the bear because that's just what the day called for. That's what shepherds do. They defend the flock. And lions and bears, they eat sheep. You understand? So this is just where David's goals and the goals of the lions and the bears, they collide on the backside of the sheep pasture. So David's just doing his job. He's just doing what he does. But the point is, God was always preparing him right there where he was for what he wanted to do with David next. See, this is why you and I have to be very, very faithful where we are. You, you got you to sort of get past that desire you have to fast forward through this moment. Because this moment matters. You have lessons to learn today. And the circumstances that you're struggling in right now, they're they're teaching you lessons that you're going to need tomorrow. Now, you don't know what's coming tomorrow, but God does. And he always prepares you for what comes next. And the only way to prepare you for tomorrow is to work in your life today. So that's why it's very important that you're faithful to God today. So you'll be ready to face tomorrow. It's why it's important to learn lessons today, because these are things that God knows you need to know tomorrow. That's why it's important that you do your homework today, because the test is going to come tomorrow. Y'all with me? God always prepares you where you are for what comes next. So the big question right now, and it's not even the sermon, y'all, the big question for you is, what's he preparing you for? I mean, you can be a little bit of a detective here. What's he trying to do? What's he teaching you? What situation do you keep finding yourself in over and over and over Pay attention to the pattern there. What's he teaching you? What's he growing you? What's he developing in you? Because he's always preparing you today uh, for what you're going to face tomorrow. Understand? So what's that look like? What does the process of preparation look like? Verse 34, David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Okay, understand, that's his whole resume. That's his whole resume. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Now, kind of in my book, that qualifies him for probably one job, taking care of sheep and goats. I mean, you know, know, thanks for playing, you know, know, have a nice parting gift for you on the, the back door. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or a bear comes to see a little ant from the flock, I go after it with a club. I, I, I love that. I just love that. Anybody know about that? I mean, anybody see that? I mean, again, when David tells it, it sounds awesome, you know. He probably leaves out the part where, you know, where he you know, peed his pants and ran. And hit, you, know, you know, the first time you kill a bear, it, it can't be, you know, fun. 
I mean, you know, but, but he just learns this. He, he just learns courage by facing fear. Do you understand that? And, and all of this happens on, on the back side of the field. God's going to put you in the shadows before he lets you in the spotlight. Do you understand? Before he puts you in the spotlight, he's going to hide you in the shadows. I mean, we don't like that. We don't want to labor in obscurity. I mean, David's out here killing lions and bears. There's nobody going, good job, David. Wait, woo, way to go. You clubbed that bear. Woo, woo, go. No, he's by himself. Nobody even there to see it. This is before he could have taken a selfie, you know, with the bear. Because I would have. You know, I mean, I would have. Like, if I just killed a bear, I'm going to let it. It's going to be on my Instagram. Everybody's going to know. And I'm going to put it on there like for weeks. Y'all going to know I clubbed a bear. I mean, shoot, if I ran over a squirrel on the way to church, you know, I mean, you're not like, you know, that's something, y'all. I'm, I'm a killer. I mean, but no, no, it's just David in obscurity. And this is why so many of us will never, ever be used of God in a big way because we cannot, we cannot deal with being hidden in the shadows. We want to be seen. We want to be noticed. We want all of our accomplishments to be duly noted and rewarded, but it does not work that way. Jesus prepared for 30 years before he ministered publicly for three. Let that sink in. And we're talking about Jesus. 30 years working in his father's carpenter shop, we assume. But other than that, we don't know anything he did. 30 years Jesus lived his life preparing for the three years uh, when he would change the world, save the world, rule the world. 30 years of preparation. We don't even... It's hard putting it all together, but when Paul talks about his life between when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road and then started in his first missionary journey, he got lost in Arabia, he says. I mean, he's out there in Arabia for years, you know, in, in obscurity. God just working and preparing him, but we don't know anything about any of that because it was mundane. There was nothing to report. No major news, no major accomplishments. It's just God working silently and quietly in the heart of a man in obscurity, in the dark. He's going to hide you in the shadows before he puts you in the spotlight. But we don't deal with that. It's like what happens when you take the seed and place it down into the dirt where it dies in darkness and silence. And Jesus says, unless the seed goes into the earth, it can never die and then come to life. You understand? You've got to be pushed down into the dirt, down into the darkness, down into the silence where God does his most important work in your life. And when that seed goes down, you don't see anything for a long, long time, but there's a whole lot going on in the dark. The roots going down, the sprout going up, but that takes time and there's not a whole lot to report during those moments. Your life is mundane, isn't it? I mean, it's so mundane. There's nothing to report. That's why you don't even like Facebook, because everybody else has got pictures on the beach. Whoa. You know, everybody else is out there, man. They're, they're grilling a live pig. Whoa. And you got like, you know, weenies, you know, like over your cheapo grill. And you ain't going to take pictures of none of this. Everybody else's kids are beautiful. Why? And your kids got spaghetti like, you know. It's like, man, it's just nothing to report. There's nothing to put out there and, and, and hope people will like it and follow it. You're hoping everybody forgets it and ignores it. And so your life is mundane. Mine is too. There's just not a whole lot going on. Not a lot to report. 
But guess what? If you don't let God have that mundane life of yours, if you don't let him work in those mundane moments, if you don't know how to surrender control of your mundane life to God, then guess what? You're not going to surrender at all because that's where you live. You live in the mundane You live in all of those days when there doesn't seem like anything is happening. And if you don't surrender your life to God in those mundane days, then guess what? You won't ever surrender. If you don't know how to be faithful to God when you're on the backside of the pastor with nobody looking, just being faithful, doing your nothing job, then you will not be able to stand before the giant when the moment comes for the big battle. Before God puts you in the spotlight, he always, always, always hides you in the shadows. Right now, you feel like you're dying in the shadows. Just be faithful. Understand? Be faithful. Do your homework. Let it happen. Let it happen. Because even while you're there, you got work to do. And it's not exciting work. Before God gives you the big job, He's going to give you one small job after another. One small job after another. Now, David tells us, I killed a bear with my bare hands. I grabbed it by the throat, you know. He tells us that story. He didn't tell us about, you know, before that he had to kill a, you know, first it was a, you know, a caterpillar. And and then probably, you know, one day he got to, you know, stomp a possum, boom. You know, and, and then gradually, you know, you got the grizzly bear, but... But it's a, it's a progression in the way God works in our lives. The spiritual fathers and mothers call this progressive obedience. Progressive obedience. It's what Jesus refers to in the parable when he says, you've been faithful in small things, so now I'm going to make you to be able to rule over big things. You're faithful in the little things, I'll make you ruler over much. It's Jesus' principle. It's progressive obedience. In other words, you you do the small things, but you do them well. You do them faithfully. You you, you do whatever God asks you to do today because you're learning obedience. You do the homework because you really do have to learn this stuff so when the test comes, you don't have to think so hard. There's a little bit of muscle memory that has to be developed with your faith. Every time God asks you to do something, he he can't wait for you to stop and think about it. Your obedient heart needs to immediately begin to beat for him. You understand what I'm saying? It's it's muscle memory. Y'all remember Karate Kid? Remember the whole wax on, wax off? And and what's the kid's name? What's that kid's name? It's like Mr. Miyoji and Daniel. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so Daniel's learning to wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, ha, ha, you know? And he's thinking, what is this about? What is this? And you know, one of the moments in the movie, he's like, come in and say, I'm done with this. Tired of waxing your car and painting your fence. And all of a sudden, he's in the middle of a karate match. And what's he do? Ha, you know? Paint the fence, whoo, whoo. You know, wah, wah, you know? Where did he get that? What are y'all laughing about exactly? <laughs> I'm preaching, y'all. I ain't really doing karate. Yeah, wax on, wax off, you know? It's muscle memory. He had to learn it in these mundane days of waxing the car, painting the fence. Why in the world am I doing this? But then all of a sudden, when the moment of battle comes, wow, whoa, whoa. Understand? Kind of muscle, me- <laughs> y'all quit. It's that muscle memory. 
that comes with faith, it comes with obedience. And God's going to test you in one small job after another. You're thinking, Lord, I want to be like Billy Graham. I want to preach to the multitudes. And the Lord will say, okay, okay, why don't you take this class to third grade girls? And you're like, no, no, you misunderstood my prayer. I said, I want to be Billy Graham preaching to the multitudes. And God says, that's right, I heard you. I got some third grade girls up the hall. Go to it. Wax on, <laughs> wax off, you understand? You just learn to be faithful in small things. It's, it's doing the homework, you all. And this is how God prepares you. It's progressive obedience. David was obedient. In all of those moments, no matter what would come, he stood there to the fight. And gradually, the enemies get a little taller, a little bit bigger, a little bit meaner, a little bit uglier. Go from a lion to a bear, and then all of a sudden, one day, it's Goliath. And David says, I got this. I got this. That's, that's kind of the amazing thing. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Where does that confidence come from? I can't speak for every man in the house, but I think I can speak for most men in the house. The number one fear of every man is that he'll choke. I don't mean like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like when you're, when you're playing ball and you're standing at the plate and the pitcher's about to pitch and you know that you can hit the ball, but there's just this fear that, man, I'm going to choke. You know, or say you're the pitcher and you've pitched a ball a million times, but there's, every time it, it leaves your hand, there's still always that moment of, you know, what if I fail? What if I choke? It's kind of a man's heart. Always sort of afraid that we'll never be able to come through in the moment when it really matters that we come through. We know we can do it when nobody's looking, but what about when it matters? What if I choke? And David has no fear of that here. No fear. I mean, I'd be thinking, mm, you know, I, I did kill a bear, but it's kind of, you know, it's more like, it was more like Winnie the Pooh than, you know, than anything else. I, I don't know, you know, it's just confidence. How does God bring that out of him? It's real simple. I mean, before God can bring strength out of you, he has to build strength in you. And this is why a lot of us, honestly, aren't very strong. Because we are not willing to, to go through what we must go through in order for God to build strength in us. Because honestly, there's only one way to grow strong. You have to walk when you are weak. Understand? There's really only one way to learn courage, and that is to face fear. Lots and lots and lots of us would love for God to put strength in us, but we really don't want to be in any situations that would call for strength. We'd like courage, but we really don't want to be in any situations that would require courage. This is what David says. You know, I, I, I've been out there, and I know what God has done for me in the past, and what God has done for me in the past, he's going to do for me now. I can do this. The point is, David didn't just show up, you know, ready to face Goliath. It, it was this long path 
pattern of preparation that David probably didn't even recognize until this moment when he, when he understands this is, this is what I was born to do. This is the moment that everything leads to. So what about you? I don't know what God has for you. I know God has something for you. God has a purpose for you, a plan. I don't know what it is. Some of you are thinking, oh, Brother Tim, I'm old. I'm retired. I'm done with that. You preach this to the college kids. No, I'm preaching to you and the college kids. When God is done with you, he will let you know in a face-to-face meeting. Well, you are. Somebody say amen. amen. I mean, you know, when he's done with you, he will let you know in a face-to-face meeting. Otherwise, assume that you are still called to battle. I'm not done with you. You're done with you. God's not done with you. Get up. Get busy. He's preparing you right now today for something he has for you tomorrow. Now, what you must do today is going to look a lot like nothing special, perhaps. It's going to look a lot like, you know, going down there with the third grade girls. God bless you. Teach them like you were preaching to the masses. Give it all you've got. You, you learn obedience. Wax on, wax off, Daniel. You understand? Because there's a fight coming tomorrow, and you need to be ready. Remember, David's talking to Saul here. All of this should be Saul's place. All of this should be Saul's story. This should be Saul's glory here. But no, Saul, Saul checked out some time ago. He's never going to have the story, never going to have the glory. God is going to have to move on from Saul because Saul will not be moved by God. David's different. All along the way, he does his homework. And when the test comes, he stands strong. He steps up. He takes on the giant. With confidence. Let's pray. God, we don't know what our lives are for. Some of us sitting here today, Lord, we don't know what our lives are for. Lord, we work jobs that nobody in the world would even want, Lord. There's, there's no promotion in sight, no raise, no name played on our desk. There's, there's nothing, Lord, nothing at all that makes us feel like our life is somehow being guided by a, a God with a purpose and a plan, Lord. Our lives don't look like that. We don't feel like that. Oh, God, give us eyes to see just a little bit of what you see when you look down at us. Help us to understand the significance and all the small things that we do every day if we do them with grace and obedience and gladness. Lord, teach us, Lord, what you can do with a heart, a life that is completely surrendered to you. No matter what mundane job we step into tomorrow, no matter how mundane the routine of our life, Lord, let us give that mundane life to you, Lord, so that you can do whatever you want to do with it. And as long as we have to labor in obscurity and shadows, Lord, we will do that, Lord. We don't need praise. We don't need applause. Lord, we just want to live for your glory. We just want to live for you. We just want to be faithful. 
So make us faithful today, Lord, and knowing that if we're faithful to you today, tomorrow will take care of itself. If we do the hard thing you put in front of us today, Lord, we don't have to fear what hard thing we face tomorrow, Lord. You will always prepare us, always make us ready. That's why it's so important, Lord, that we walk with you every day, that we trust you every day. God, there are people in this room, people in the cafe, people in the side of my voice who gave up on their own lives a long time ago. They checked out. They're not fighting any giants. They're not killing any bears or lions. Or as a matter of fact, they're not doing much of anything. Oh, God, stir them back to life. Remind them, Lord, that they have a purpose and that you have a plan. And God, I pray that you would once more involve them in a process of preparation so that when tomorrow comes, we will stand before the giant with confidence. Oh, God, our lives are not our own. So teach us, Lord, to live with gladness, with energy, with passion, because life is short. We want to make sure, Lord, that not a single day is wasted. So, Lord, this day, today that you've given us, help us to rejoice and be glad in it and learn obedience in every small task you put before us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.